The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Women of the Word, October 8, 2023, A Biblical Response to Anxiety, Part 2. I remembered to record. Good. Okay. Well, welcome back. Um, if you weren't here last week, this is the second talk on anxiety. And um, in your handout, I just did like the top little section sort of last week. But as I mentioned last week, it's kind of hard to organize a talk like this. So it, this week is a little more um, focused. So um, this week... Um, um, well, I'm just going to start with the um, the medical. So, under a biblical solution to anxiety, um, it talks about we are duplex beings. The mind and body affect each other, and duplex is just like a fancy, I don't know, word we use. Where, like, what are we as people? Like, are we a mind? Like, are we a soul and a body? Um, some people say, well, we're also a spirit. Um, well, but biblically, it's where we have like a soul and then we have our body and those affect each other. So when we think about anxiety, um, it's really important to actually talk about the physical aspects of it because we do have physical responses to anxiety. And sometimes what we know in our, in our mind, in our soul, our body takes a while to catch up to that. So... Um, what? Oh, we met. <laughs> we got the same dress. Nice. Um, so, okay. So, yeah, I just like to start out with a little bit of audience participation. <laughs> what would be like some physical symptoms of anxiety that just come to mind? Would you hear? Uh huh. Like elevated heart rate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A sense of hurry or even in your gut. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Like your, like, how do I say it without it being reported? <laughs> Speed up your digestive. Yeah, totally. Uh huh. Yep. Yeah, like when I was a freshman in college, um, I was a, a only child growing up. I had never had a sibling, I never shared a room. And at 18 years old, I went off to Cal Poly and had a roommate, and um, she was definitely not a Christian. I really wasn't a Christian at the time, even though I would have called myself one. And we had, uh, we were great friends at first, and then we had this huge falling out, and then through all that like turmoil and other things, I actually became a Christian somewhere in the middle of the school year. And then I spent the rest of the year trying to, like, make friends with her again. And I even, you know, I apologized to her for things I said, and she was very clear that she was not going to forgive me. And it was just, it was so hard. And I remember just, like, walking up the steps to my dorm room and just feeling like this gut, like, my like, gut was just constantly in turmoil for, like, six months. I even thought I was lactose intolerant. I was like trying all these different things. But I look back on it now and it was just all the stress of having to live with this girl who obviously hated me and kind of knowing it was my own fault, you know. 
So it's like stress, anxiety certainly affects your physical physical self. Um, the ability to sleep is another one. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Um, so, uh, so just thinking about too, and you know, some people do. Um, you know, they'll go to the doctor for anxiety, and um, you know, the process with their physician, they might prescribe anti-anxiety medication. Um, and just to be clear, that is a Christian liberty. Like, there's that is something that with discernment and um, talking with your doctor and. Um, you know, maybe, you know, a wise person, um, there's nothing wrong with that. If that's, you know, that's the Christian liberty that God has given to us. Um, so, of course, you could ask your doctor, do you think it would help if I tried biblical counseling first before I went on any medication? And the physicians are becoming more and more aware of the complications of all these psychiatric medications and they're often like yes please do like please try something before we prescribe medication and they're very much advocates of that because there's definitely what's known as the poop out effect which is kind of a weird phrase but you start taking something you know like whatever it is um, and it might work for a little while and then it kind of tapers off it doesn't work as well and so then they're like you kind of get into a bad situation because then they're just they're prescribing more. They're drugs on top of drugs, and then there's side effects. And so sometimes they're prescribing drugs to help with the side effects. So we really want to try to save it for really severe cases and for a temporary period of time. Um, but all that being said, of course, we are not doctors. We cannot advise anyone right on whether or not to take medication. So. You know, if you have a friend or someone you're meeting with and they're taking medication, like, our goal is not to say, oh, you need to stop. You need to stop. That's not us at all because it has to be tapered. It has to be with the physician. Um, and it's not our job at all. Like, we could be sued <laughs> if we give them medical advice. So, um, so, but it is a Christian liberty. And maybe after counseling, biblical counseling for a while, you realize, oh, I want to talk to my doctor about going off this medication, I think that would be a healthy thing, you know, and that's, and that's perfectly fine. So, um, and then, you know, I mentioned last time when we look at biblical counseling, it doesn't mean we ignore the secular world. So, like, the secular world has some helpful things, like, um, you know, calming techniques, like deep breathing, like, we know that, you know, uh, like, I don't, we went first one yesterday, and it, I was like, oh, I feel a lot less stressed, you know, so, like, exercising regularly and all of that helps with um, reducing anxiety and even just like muscle relaxation like noticing like my forehead is all scrunched you know things like you know it really helps to just so I mean we don't it could totally ignore those things you know getting a massage or um, those are all helpful um, so but and we just we do them with the Lord you know, we do them looking to him. Like, if you're going to, you know, go for a walk, maybe listen to scripture as you walk or, you know, things like that. That just kind of helps you point towards Christ, you know. Um, and also just to be aware, there are some conditions like 
um, endocrine disorders, hyperthyroidism, hypoglycemia, even um, hormone prescriptions for estrogen can have side effects that mimic anxiety. So like all those. Um, so definitely, it's, if you're having physical side effects, just go to a physician and have your annual checkup and just make sure there's nothing else going on. Um, okay, so, and Tara did mention that we're going to have like a Q&A <laughs> next week. So give me questions today so I can research things if I need to. And Because, um, yeah, I'm not an expert, as I said last week, so... Be sure to, um, if you have questions, write them down, and um, at the end of the time today, I'll collect those so I can ponder them for next week. So, um, okay. So, okay. So, I think we all know a lot about anxiety and the things, you know, and the principles of scripture, and I just thought one thing that was really helpful for me was thinking about... Um, the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians. So what I want to do is go ahead and turn to Acts 16. And um, one thing I did was I read through, Acts 16 is telling about when Paul first goes to Philippi and the experience that he had there. And then um, we're going to look at the book of Philippians to help us understand how he how he glorified God through that experience. Um, okay, so let's see. Um, could someone read Acts 16, just verses 6 through 10 for us? And as we're reading, um, I want you to underline or take note of phrases that show that Paul understood the sovereignty of God within that situation. Did you want to read that? They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Okay, thank you. So what were their phrases really demonstrate the sovereignty of God in that? They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. The Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Mm-hmm. And then the man from Macedonia, the vision, mm-hmm. that seemed to say, yes, here's the open door. Yeah. Yeah, God, concluding that God had called us to preach to them. Okay, so he really understands that this is God calling him to Macedonia, which is where Philippi is. Okay, so then... So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. 
One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So um, there's like this great victory here, right? Like they came there to preach the gospel. And um, one thing I learned through this study was that um, there was no Jewish synagogue in Philippi. That's why they went down to the riverside because you have to have at least 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue. And so instead they would gather by the riverside to pray. So he was looking for Jews that he could preach the gospel to. And he found um, Lydia, which might not be what he was expecting, but that's what God brought to him. And um, the Lord opened her heart and so and her whole household. And then she invited them to her house. So it's like this huge victory. Like we think of like, you know, he wants to serve God. He's traveling. He's, where should we go? And then he goes to Philippi. This, this girl, um, this woman, and her whole household, like, that's a pretty huge, like, wow, like, that's like a mountaintop moment, right? Like, we preached the gospel, they believed, we came to their house, it's like, it's the beginning of the church there, right? And so, um, that would be really encouraging, you know, really at this great high. And then what happens in the next section? It's this, what? Like, amazing low, right? <laughs> the next section, um, the slave girl who was, had a spirit of divination, she kept following them around for days and saying, um, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And I just think it's really interesting that um, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, verse 18, he commanded the spirit in the name of Jesus to come out, out of her. So it's just, I just think it's really interesting um, you know, Jesus, uh, Jesus uh, told demons to come out of people, but it never says Jesus greatly annoyed, you know, cast the demon out, whatever. It never says that because Jesus had perfect control of his emotions. He was perfectly patient. Um, it's just interesting because sometimes we can look at Paul and it's hard to relate to him. But this I just thought was really um, a sweet little God gave us a little glimpse. Like, maybe he struggled a little with patience, you know, or what. Um, so, because we can all identify. So, okay, so then in verses, um, like, 19, um, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone. Okay, so they're completely greedy. There's nothing just here. This is all unfair. They seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers, so publicly humiliated them. Um them. These men are Jews. They are disturbing our city, which is, of course, an exaggeration, right? They made that up for their own benefit. They were not disturbing the city. Um, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept our practice. Um, we think that probably that has to do with the Lord's Supper, that maybe that they were twisting that to interpret it as cannibalism. And so they were just spreading lies about them. Um, the crowd joined in attacking them, so the magistrates tore their garments off of them, so they were, what, partially naked? Um, beat them with rods, um, threw them into prison, and they were put in the stocks, which you've probably heard is, like, they spread out their feet really wide and put them in these iron 
like holders, and then their hands too. So completely unjust, completely um, lies, all based on greed. Um, Okay, and then verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What? Like, what? Why? (laughs) I don't understand. Like, wow. (laughs) Like, it's just this huge, like, okay, that's not, like, put yourself in his shoes. Like, is that how you would respond? Like, no. Okay, like, this is a talk on anxiety. Like, what would you be feeling? Like, afraid? (laughs) Right? Like, angry? Because isn't this totally unfair? Um, indignant, like, God, I wanted to serve you, like, I'm a missionary, and why is this happening to me, and, um, like, what else, honestly, like, how do you feel when, like, something unjust happens to you, like, self-pity, right, we're just like, oh, helpless, yeah, powerless, yeah, hopeless, despair, um, focusing on yourself, um, just, uh, angry at the world, you know, whatever it is, despair, hopelessness. Um, okay, but they were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So what I think is really helpful is, um, well, let's get into the, what was Paul thinking? How was he able, why was he singing and praying hymns to God? Like, really? Like, why? Where does it tell us maybe what he was thinking with the book of Philippians. So, but even when he started us reading in Acts 6, like, he recognized he was forbidden to go here. Like, he recognized God's sovereignty and yeah. he was supposed to go. Mm-hmm. And I think that's helpful in knowing, okay, this is what you have for me, Lord. Mm-hmm. So when things go back, it's like, okay, I know that was where I was supposed to be. Uh-huh. Um, not yep. that it makes it easy, but... Just recognizing God's hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think what's underneath anxiety a lot of times is um, fear of what might happen, right? So, um, at least I know for me, like fear of, because it's one thing to use, you know, like the secular world would talk about, you know, um, and I didn't get into a lot of this, but, you know, it's cognitive behavioral therapy where you use calming techniques, deep breathing. Um, I even, yeah, did some research on this one guy who explains um, what you really have to do is become, like, anxiety is a habit loop. So you feel anxious, and so you do certain things, like, um, you know, you go to the store and get a gallon of ice cream and you eat the gallon of ice cream, you know, because you're just feeling anxious, you know, or you run around the house tidying up. That's what I've done in the past. Like, I want to clean everything, right, because I feel um, helpless. I feel unempowered. Well, here's something powerful I can do. I can clean my house and it can look really good. And then I feel, I think I feel better, but it really doesn't help, you know. Um, so what they, they, um, the secular world advocates is um, this whole thing about becoming disenchanted with your um, with you, the thing that you have chosen, right? Like, let's say you're a smoker and you realize that's disgusting and I'm not going to smoke anymore, and then you replace it. Um, it's not even enough to replace it. Like, let's say instead of eating ice cream, you buy, you're like, well, I'm going to get blackberries, you know, because blackberries are healthy, and so you eat blackberries or other fruit or whatever. Um, 
you don't want to eat too many blackberries, but <laughs> it's just you replace it with something else. And even the secular world acknowledges that that's not, that's not enough. Like, that's not going to help. Um, and so when a new author that I read, um, basically he suggested you go on and what you need is more information. So if, you, if you're afraid of something, you know, like, you know, is my child going to get into college? You know, go on an information quest, you know, like find out, like, what do we need to do to ensure she gets into the right college? And how do we do all these things? So now you're like, oh, like I have the information, I have the tools, I can just go do it. You know, and it kind of sounds like a good idea, but really it's, it's not, right? It's just self-righteousness again. It's self-focused. You're not, I mean, you can do, you know, do your due diligence and research and things like that, but is it, it's not glorifying to God, right? So what did Paul do? What was his thinking that... Um, you know, even in the midst, if you do need more information or you do need to clean your house or whatever, how can we glorify God in that um, situation? Did you have a comment, Tara? Mm-hmm. Well, I was just going to say, like, you had talked about fear of the unknown, and that's very real. But I think some of that, like, that you were talking about also can really be rooted in um, just control, mm-hmm. like having control over things when we don't. And that can send us into a tailspin when God has a different plan than we do. Mm-hmm. Just to recognize that that's a potential. And when we try to gain control, it's really just trying to be sovereign over our own lives. Yeah. Or someone else. We want to be sovereign <laughs> over our world. Yes. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Okay. So, um, okay. And, of course, the whole point of this in Acts 16 25 is that they were praying and singing hymns and the prisoners were listening to him to them Paul and Silas and then of course um, because they were listening because he was sharing the gospel even in prison God had that earthquake he wanted to have that you know huge um, witness to the truth of what they were saying and um, you know kind of bring along the the gospel to the Philippians there, starting with the jailer and his household. So basically, if Paul had succumbed to all these anxieties, self-pity, despair, self-focus, fear, he would not have had a witness at all to the jailer and all the other prisoners, and the gospel would not have been proclaimed. So that was just what was really um, eye-opening to me. It's like, Whatever trouble I'm going through, if I'm drawn into these temptations, instead of, like, it it basically takes away any type of witness I could have had to the people around me, which, um, which is, when you think about situations, and, you know, not that we look at the past with regret, but, like, what if I had responded this way? Like, you can kind of be creative in thinking, how might God have used that situation, you know? Or just think about where I, you know, our current situations, like whatever I'm anxious or stressed out about, if I am glorifying God in this situation, if that's my goal instead of self-focus and anxiety, um, how might God use that, you know, in uh, someone else's life or in my own life, right? Because, um, okay, so let's look in just through Philippians. So now when we read Philippians, we kind of have an insight into 
What was Paul thinking? How did he get to verse 25? How did he get from verse 24 to verse 25? Like, and we know he wasn't perfect. He wasn't Jesus, you know, not that we can't emulate or learn from Jesus, of course. But I'm just saying this was a real guy with real struggles. You know, like we learned he was greatly annoyed <laughs> at one point. Um, how did he get there? So, um, and I just like went through the book of, the whole book of Philippians and just kind of underlined things that were really eye-opening to me. Um, so, like, take chapter 1, verse 7. Um, For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So even, and this, he's writing Philippians from prison in Rome, so it's a different imprisonment. But he had, you know, of course, the same mindset. So he saw God's grace in his imprisonment. He didn't say, God's mad at me, I'm in prison, um, he's not being gracious to me right now. Like, no, he, God's grace is with him in his imprisonment. Um, and like verse 9, my prayer and is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. So his concern was for them, not for himself. There's never anything in the book of Philippians where he's concerned for himself, except we'll get to later, he wants to die and be with Christ. That's what he wants. That's his only concern for himself. Um, so, um, verse 12. What has happened to me, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So he already sees how his trials are for good. And he wants them to know that. Um, Because the Romans, you know, back at, uh, no, the Philippians would have been worried about him. They would have wanted to know how to respond to that. Um, I want you to know. So, like, kind of he's saying, don't worry about me. This is advancing the gospel. Um, so, um, and then even, so not only they're in prison amongst the Imperial Guard, but, um, even others, you know, verse 14, they're much more bold to speak the word, the gospel without fear. Um, and then, um, like verse, uh, 17, um, some people, Proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaiming that I rejoice. So he, he resists the temptation to bitterness. Like he's stuck here in prison. And there's other people out there proclaiming Christ and they're kind of against him. Like it's kind of this um, out of selfish ambition. Like, he could have gotten really upset about that. He could have gotten really worried and um, anxious. Um, but he's not really, that's not his, that's not where he went with it. That's, he, um, he was just glad that Christ was being proclaimed, you know, um, which is cool. Um, it's easy to resent others when we're suffering. Like, maybe we see others that, you know, they're not stuck with whatever health condition we have or, their kids don't seem to be as naughty as ours or whatever it is. Like, it's so easy to resent others. Um, but instead, he was focused on Christ is proclaimed. So how can God be glorified in whatever this is? Um, 
let's see. So how about the rest of chapter 1? If you guys want to scan through that, like verses 19 through 30, do you guys see um, anything in there that kind of shows his, what to, how did he resist the temptations to anxiety and worry? What was his thinking? Well, in 19, right off the bat, he says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So you can see he was so hopeful, like the Holy Spirit was at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in verse 20, he talks about full courage that Christ will be honored, whether by life or death. Yeah. Yeah, whether he lives or dies, like he really just thought, whether I live or die, Christ will be honored. And he was just, he was fine with dying. And it even says, my desire is to part, to depart and be with Christ. That is far better. Um, so he wanted to be with Christ, but then, oh, well, then again, he was thinking of others. It's remaining in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So for their progress in joining the faith. So again, he was just, he wasn't thinking about himself. Um, he was thinking about others and he was ready to die. And I just think in our own lives, um, it's maybe we're not there, but maybe just having it be our our ambition to get there. Like, am I ready to die? Like, if I found out I was dying, is that okay? Is God allowed to do that in my life without me getting angry or resentful or bitter? You know, and it's not just that we can't acknowledge all, all these temptations, right? We, we can. We can talk about them, and that's the whole point. Like, the Psalms are just full of acknowledging our feelings, Um, because feelings are where we find out what our desires are. So they aren't just to be pushed aside and ignored. It's, why do I feel this way? Like, it's okay. Like, let's just, let's think about it. What is underneath this feeling? If maybe I'm afraid of death. Um, why? There could be lots of reasons. It kind of seems obvious. Oh, everyone's, when I heard that, I was like, why are you asking me why I'm afraid of death? Well, there's reasons, right? Like, Maybe you're not really sure what happens, or you're afraid it will be painful, or you're wondering what will happen to your family after you're gone, or you'll miss seeing grandkids, um, meeting them, and all those things can be met with scripture. And so, because for example, like he's saying, to depart and be with Christ is far better. So, like for me, I have to think, like, you know, it's better for me to be with Christ. That will be better. Whatever it is that I'm missing, if I die tomorrow, it will be better, right? And and God knows what he's doing with my family. Um, so just talking to myself, instead of listening to myself, we're talking to ourselves. And just um, definitely not pushing aside feelings. It's There's something to be explored. Why, why do I feel this way? What is underneath it? You know, and then it, there comes a point where we don't dwell on that feeling anymore because that can become a habit. And so we need to just remember, oh, we talked about that. Like, <laughs> I'm not dwelling on that feeling. Here's the scripture that we're moving on to. Um, the perspective shift there. Um, anything else 
like in verses 27 through 30 that you saw that kind of gives us a window into what Paul was encouraging things that Paul was telling himself. that he, I don't know if this is what you're looking at, um, if he's absent or if he's there, he trusts the Lord with that. Like, he'd probably rather be there, but he, if he could just heard of their faith, then that would be an encouragement to him. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, because he, um, yeah, he probably had a longing to be there, to see them, to, um, but it's just, you know, and, and it's, it's over in, you know, later on, he's content with ever the circumstance. Um, where it was, is that, that's in Philippians, right? The, whether he's well fed or hungry or whether he's, um, has plenty or in want. Um, that's how he's content because he's just, well, this is from God. The good things, the bad things are from God. You know, these are all from God. So... When he's encouraging them in verse 28 not to be frightened, mm-hmm. um, even by their opponents, and to be prepared to suffer for Christ's sake, down in verse 29. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we can suffer for Christ's sake, you know, even if we're not, because um, for a long time I kind of thought, like, oh, well, they're being persecuted. So they're suffering for Christ's sake because they're proclaiming the gospel, and so that's how God is glorified. But then once I realize that I can suffer for Christ's sake, even if I'm just sick or in pain, not just for um, sharing the gospel, but just whatever I'm doing, I can do it for Christ's sake. So if I'm doing it to glorify God, I'm suffering for his sake. And so it opens up all these promises of scripture. If whenever it talks about um, suffering for Christ, or um, we can do that in our daily lives. Um, whatever we're suffering, whatever we're hurting, it's not meaningless. It's not a mistake. It's all, even if nobody knows about it, even if we're lying in bed by ourselves, nobody knows about our suffering, no one really understands. If we're glorifying God in our heart, in our minds, um, that is, you know, suffering for his sake, and it it brings him glory. It brings him more glory than if you just um, weren't suffering at all. So, um, okay, so... Okay, so what about some other things, uh, maybe in chapter 2, that you think kind of open up what Paul was thinking about, kind of Paul's antidote to anxiety and fear. Well, he talks big time about having the same attitude in us that Jesus had mm-hmm. when he left the heavenly and he was born, basically submitted himself to the Father to mm-hmm. human. He emptied himself. He emptied himself. Yeah. And then the humility. He talks about the humility. Mm-hmm. Jesus had no agenda of his own. And looking at Paul, and you can see through his through the whole book of Philippians, Paul had no agenda of his own. Like, he had no personal, this is what I want to do, this is my goal, this is what I want. It was just, he emptied himself. Um, and I just, um, I think about 
um, my own life, you know, when I'm feeling anxious or stressed or worried or am, what am I, what is my concern? Like, it's usually my agenda. And it takes a bit to stop and realize what that was because it doesn't often pop to, pop to our minds. We kind of tend to get wrapped up in it. Um, um, just like a silly, uh, you know, recent example is, um, you know, even just training our children. Like, some, let's say we're training them to, uh, you know, clean up after themselves, which is kind of a common um, a thing. And we want to train them to clean up after themselves. But, like, for me, I have to think of what is my agenda? Is it, like, perfect obedience every time, you know, and the house has to be clean? And, and when I get underneath it, I'm kind of thinking, I'm, I'm kind of taking this as a, um, they're disrespecting me. Like, if they don't clean up, they're, that's disrespectful to me because they're not obeying me. And, and it's like, well, no, you don't have to take it that way. Like, it's not... <clears throat> That's kind of me, like, getting wrapped up in my own agenda. I want them to think well of me. I want them to respect me and clean up. And um, it's just like, no, like, it's a good thing for them to learn. But what, is, what does God want them to learn? What does Jesus really want for them? You know, he doesn't, you know, it's, he, he's not demanding perfect obedience at this point. You know, it's just we're teaching them biblical principles. We're kind of helping them along the way. And, and sometimes what they really need to just see is, patience you know like yeah you swept the floor but you left a lot of things but but she thinks she swept the swept the floor and she walks away and she thinks she did it so is it really helpful for me to like come back and be like oh you missed all this you know is that that's my my agenda right like isn't God pleased with that like she thinks she cleaned it up she thinks she did a good job like that's good enough you know that's that's good so that's just a little example of where I go under, like, I just have to think, am I emptying myself of my own agenda, you know, or um, I don't know if you guys have any other examples, but um, just kind of thinking about your own life, like, where am I, like, maybe running after my own, I don't know, whether it's a cultural influence or um, just our personal tendency towards per- perfectionism or wanting to be respected or, um, yeah, just where am I kind of maybe wrapped up in my own agenda, you know? Um, so just kind of keep going through here. Um, um, so in verse 13, he understood that God is the one who was working Mm-hmm. It wasn't him, it wasn't others, but whatever was happening, God was working in him to accomplish his will, and it was for his good pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, and again, that's the whole, like, we do the work, God provides the power, right? So, verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to, to will and to work. Because this is all about, um, in verse 12, working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Um, you can exchange that word salvation. It basically means sanctifi- sanctification. So fear of God, like putting God first, fear and trembling. So we're, our God is the one who's on the throne, who is um, who we are trying to please and we are trying to serve. He's the only one we are working for. And if he is pleased, then that's it. That's all we need. 
Um, and so sometimes even just thinking through like, okay, that person is unhappy with me. And actually, I don't even know if they're unhappy. In my mind, I'm thinking, I think they're unhappy with me. I think they're going to be unhappy with me if I do this, right? And then that's anxiety, is fear of man. But if I kind of work through it in my brain, like, okay, well, did I do whatever I did in good conscience? Like, am I doing what I think God wants me to do? Is it enough? Like, God, what God, am I obeying him? If it's not enough for the other person, well, that's their, you know, that's not, they can be unhappy with me. That's fine, you know. But, and so then, like, your conscience can rest. Like, okay, I don't have to worry about what they're thinking. Like, I can just rest in the Lord. So, um, so that's, you know, putting God first. Um, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work. So, um, and sometimes this is, you know, you're, our balance throughout the day. And I definitely feel this, like, I'm working for God, and then, like, I get really tired and overwhelmed, and I have bad attitude. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I'm kind of, I'm not relying on his strength. You know, so usually it means I'm trying to do too much or I'm trying to do it too perfectly. But if I'm relying on his strength to lift me up and I'm, I'm stopping and praying and I'm thinking about, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? A lot of times it's like, well, God didn't even really need you to do that. Like, why did you <laughs> spend time on that thing, you know, that didn't really matter, or, you know. Um, so having, so both his strength, his power in the Holy Spirit, and then we also were working. We're not just, you know, laying in bed waiting for it to happen. We're working, but he has to give us the strength. So, um, okay, yeah, and cool. Anything else in the rest of, let's see, um, that part in chapter 2, like verses 14 through 18. I was talking about doing all things without grumbling or disputing, and basically so that you'll be a light to the world. So obviously if we're suffering and we're grumbling and complaining, we're not being a light to the world. So mm-hmm. that can help us when we're suffering and there's a, a big yeah, again, it makes me think of his uh, his witness in verses in Acts 16. Like, if they had been in, in the stocks <coughs> complaining <coughs> about being there, um, man, like Paul would be like, man, Silas, this is so unfair. Can you believe they beat us and now we're naked? And I can't even believe. Like, they could go on and on and on about how unfair it all was. <laughs> but they just weren't. They were um, praying and singing hymns to God and. Just how can we get there? You know, like we're not, you know, it's it's not like beating ourselves up because we're not there. But just how? How, God? How do we get there? What, what do I need to think? What do I need to do? Do I even care if I shine as a light in the world right now? Or do I just want to grumble about what's, how unfair the situation is? Maybe I don't even care about being a witness right now. And that's where verse um, 13, for it is God who works in you both to will. So then we have to pray, God, help me to care. Because I, I have to do that a lot. Help me to care about being a witness right now. Help me to care about glorifying you. Because if I'm being honest, I don't care. I just want, I want to be right. I want justice. I want, and that's all, of course, 
sin. And then we just, we repent and we just, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> Again, you know, and that's okay, you know. Um, so just again and again, like the Christian life is just constant um, coming back to repentance and confession. That, you know, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he said, I only need to wash your feet. I don't need to wash all of you. Um, so that's kind of referring to like the daily confession and repentance process. And if we're not doing that, there's a piece missing. And I know for a long time, personally for me, I was afraid of that because I felt like it was so humiliating. I felt like I was just being so like shamed. And, and that's really not what it is at all. God never shames us for our sin. It's just come to me, come back. Like he runs at us with open arms when we confess our sins to him. So it's okay to be honest and just say, help me to care. Help me to want to be a good witness right now when all I want to do is complain, you know? Um, so. It makes me think of Moses uh-huh. with the Israelites and how they were a grumbling people and he was very annoyed with them. And what it revealed was their lack of faith. They continually question God. Mm-hmm. because of their circumstances and even said that it would be better to be back in Egypt because yeah. that's where they felt safe uh-huh. rather than going out to the unknown and trusting the Lord with whatever they had whatever he had for them yeah so these things reveal what's mm-hmm. in our heart mm-hmm. yeah and yeah and that's not the end of the story like we can repent and confess and go on and, and try again and if an hour later we're fine we're back in this you know maybe it was two steps forward one step back like that's okay repent and confess like Jesus even said if someone asks for forgiveness 70 times 7 you know how much more does God forgive us every time I to remember like because of Christ and the mm-hmm. cross like, God isn't annoyed with us. Yeah. He just was annoyed with the people, no matter how many times we come back and repent. Because sometimes it can just feel like, oh, again? Yeah. Really? I have to do this again? And we do, but God's not frustrated and angry when we repent. Yeah. You know, that's what he wants for us to do. Even if it feels like we're living our whole day on our knees, it's good to do mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Cause He's not weary of our repentance. Yeah. He might be very <laughs> um, But that's how we, that's part of the process of working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah, and it's, yeah, and that's actually a really good place to be. Like, I have to remind myself of that verse, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So the fact that I'm humble here and, like, oh, he gives me grace. Like, he gives me this great thing. Like, this is actually really good that I'm humbled and on my knees and I'm connecting with Christ because I think that's what he really wants. He wants us to see our sin so that we connect with Christ and we have a deeper love for him. And like the more we see our sin, the greater is his forgiveness and his goodness and love. So, um, we shouldn't make the mistake of becoming discouraged in our sin, but see that as God is opening up more and more his goodness, his faithfulness to us. 
and he wants a humble heart. Like if we go through scripture, how many, I mean, the Beatitudes and so many places in Psalms, um, he wants a humble heart that has faith in him. You know, not someone who's trying to do penance, beating themselves over the head again and again, shame. That's not biblical. That Satan would love that for you to just be putting yourself down and just um, getting discouraged and, and running away from God because you see your sin. Because that's easy to do. And you're just like, I'm going to avoid God because I don't want to deal with this sin. This feels yucky. And um, that Satan's like, great, awesome. Like, you know, he loves that. So instead it's, no, like, he wants. Like, I just always have the picture of the prodigal son. Like, that's what God wants. Just run to him, lay at his feet. Lay, picture yourself laying on the floor at his feet. And, and that he loves you. He, that's what he wants. So... Um, okay, so that's probably enough. Um, if you had any questions, <laughs> you can write them on the paper, and I will attempt to answer them. Um, but I'll probably have other stuff next time. So, oh yeah, and while you're writing that or thinking, oh, I should close in prayer. Um, I also brought a couple of books if you wanted to look at. Um, this is Anxiety: Knowing God's Peace. And these are um, 30-day devotionals for life series. Have you guys seen these before? Um, so there's a whole series put out by PNR Publishing that they have these little um, topical things. Like there's one for chronic illness. There's one for anger. Um, pretty much any issue that a Christian can face. There's one for prodigal. If you have prodigal children, there's one for that. And then... Um, what I really like it about it is that it's more than just like a booklet or a pamphlet, but it's less than a whole book. And they're just 30 days, and each one is like three pages long. It's just meant to be. Because sometimes you just need a little help. Like, you know all the things, you just need a little bit. And then this one's the same idea, but it's by Ed Welch um, about a small book for the anxious hearts. And Ed Welch is really, I really like him. He's really good at taking scripture and making it um, bringing it to us to our hearts so okay we'll leave those up here if you want to look at them okay and I can close in prayer